good morning, brothers and sisters. Great to see you this very fine day. I want to say the 8.30 service. No, this is the 9.30 service. Uh, well done getting here. I uh, knew this would be uh, a morning where we're all feeling a little bit less uh, well-rested as normal, but way to go. It's great to, to be here with you, and greetings to all of you at home. Uh, we do long for the day when we can all be together again and are just thankful for the season that God has us in and what he's teaching us and the opportunity that we have uh, to show that our confidence is in him, not in our circumstances. So, a few things coming up. Men's breakfast, if you say, I'd like to, you know, just have a, another touch point, uh, just some contact beyond a Sunday morning, well, the men's breakfast would be a good thing uh, to, to, to attend. Uh, so that's coming up Saturday morning, 8 a.m. So any, any gentleman in the, in the assemblies, welcome to come, and Pastor Joe would be a, a good person to contact if you have questions. So men's breakfast, Saturday morning, the 20th. Also, we have the mom's night out. So moms of preschoolers, that can be a very lonely time in a lot of ways with uh, looking after small children and how you find, um, you know, social outlets. So this is an incredible group. The effort that they put, um, uh, put in, I'm just uh, amazed at what they're able to do. So that will be Tuesday evening, the 23rd. Uh, so dads get prepared as well because that means we'll be watching the children. As I say, I always have to get my game face on on the mom's night out night, uh, but nevertheless, it's worth it. So moms of preschoolers, that's a, a good time, Tuesday, March 23rd, 7 o'clock here at the church. You won't be disappointed. Uh, we've been trying to do monthly elder-led prayer meetings, so we just, just don't want to just talk about prayer, but we actually want to enact it. And so the elders have taken the initiative. That will be Wednesday evening, March 24th. We'll pray for our nation. We'll pray for our region and we'll pray for, of course, um, one another. So that's the elder-led prayer. Anyone's welcome in the cafe. Fourthly, the Aftershock podcast. So our youth group is called Aftershock. And as you know, you've heard Pastor Caleb preach. He's a very good thinker, a very good theologian, and always has um, teaches me each week as we talk about the passage and about a host of other theological topics. So his podcast, what he's teaching the youth, is on our website. So recently, he's addressed the rather you know sobering topic of of suicide, which is on the rise. Uh, sadly, so how do you think about that theologically, or what do the what, you know what does the youth group do here? Uh, do listen to the podcast again. Maybe you're you're driving, you have a commute. Uh, that would be a great play, a great thing to listen to. So the aftershock podcast with Pastor Caleb, I, I put that before you, and again, it's accessible through the website if you just go to to student ministries. And lastly, we'd love to have um, some worship ministry volunteers that we have more services now so we we'd love if you play an instrument and, and you're a member you talk talk to pastor ian we'd love to have you sometimes it's just we don't know who's got the uh skills to do that so and while I, while i'm here i will say thank you to the kuipers who've been just um, to lindy linda and andy who've been just so great during the season so thank you those things put before you we now will turn our attention to what uh, god has done in jesus and, uh, you know, the very earliest uh, Christian, one of the earliest Christian accounts from a pagan governor says he's reporting on Christians. He says they get together first thing on Sunday mornings and they sing songs to Christ as if he is their God. And I said, well, Pliny, that Roman governor, he got that right because that's what we do. We get together on the Lord's Day and we sing uh, to Christ who is our God and our King. So we'll do that now. Amen. Well, church, good morning to you. Let's stand together, begin our time. Lord God, you stand in the heavens, you're over the earth. Everything is under the dominion and power of your hand. You uphold 
your universe with your word of power. You sustain us. And Father, beyond this, you offered your son on our behalf. The one who knew no sin, who always pleased you, who was your beloved son with whom you were well pleased and he offered himself a worthy sacrifice, sinless blood for my sinful blood. Lord, thank you that we can gather here to proclaim the truth that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So Lord, help us as we worship um, feebly in our weakness. Lord, may you delight in our praises. We thank you so much, Lord, for who you are, your love, in Jesus' name, amen. Bountiful care, what's on? 
let's rejoice together as we read Psalm 145, just 13 verses. I will extol you, my God and King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Yeah. 
glory to him. Church, you can be seated. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you now in humble adoration, knowing that without you, everything that is would not be. Your name is holy, and in you can be found no sin. We praise you now for all that you have done. We pray now that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as in heaven. We pray for world leaders that they would repent of their sins and turn to the gospel as their only source of good joy. We pray the same for our state and our local leaders. We ask now that you would give us peace that surpasses all understanding throughout this pandemic. We ask now that you would give us our daily bread. I think of this both spiritually and physically. I pray that as we are about to participate in the preaching of your word, that your Holy Spirit would cause us to be alert and attentive so that we may be competent and equipped for every good work. I pray for our physical bread as well. I pray for those that find themselves without work, that they would continue pressing on in the search, that you would, in the search for the work that you would have them to do. For those currently employed, I pray that we would work with good attitudes that would be pleasing, not just to our bosses or supervisors, but pleasing to you, our Lord. Father, forgive us of our sins. Help us to look back on this week and the sins committed as a guide forward for what needs to be confessed and that we would repent and look to you as our only source of joy and satisfaction. Finally, Lord, I pray that we would not be led into temptation, but if we are, that you would deliver us by your spirit from evil. We thank you for Jesus and his substitutionary atonement provided for us, his children, through his death and resurrection. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. We thank you for preserving the scriptures for us so that we may know and love you more. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the word. Good morning. <clears throat> I'll be reading from the CSB. Um, Philippians 4, 1 through 9. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to <clears throat> agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be sitting. 
Thank you, Giesels. Wonderful. So we're making our way through this wonderful little letter to the first church in Europe, the first of what would be many, and uh, what a joy it's been. And I think today that little couple of words in the center of our passage really jump out to me. Do not be anxious about anything. Or in the version we just heard, don't worry about anything. Say, what words for our times? That we live in a great age of anxiety, don't we? Remember back to Christmas time, I had been cataloging all the headlines of the major papers and how many of them talked about anxiety being on the rise and depression and suicide and basically every metric that we have to say we are becoming a more anxious people, a more worried, stressed out group. Say what an indictment on the wealthiest and most educated generation the world has ever seen and yet here we are fretting about our circumstances that we're worried about our finances, we're worried about the future spending of our country, worried about our government, worried about illness, worried about loneliness. If we're not worried about loneliness, we're worried about being in crowds, that we're worried about our loved ones. You say, if there's something in the world to be worried about, say, we find a way to do so. You see, anxiety is something that plagues each one of us at different levels and at various points depending on our circumstances but no one seems to be immune that we understand what anxiety is and the consensus of where we're at as a nation and a people is not good now as we talk about anxiety today i want to make two important qualifications up front firstly is that when we talk about anxiety today i i I don't want to talk about the kind that would result from a rebellion against god's order In other words, sometimes we break God's law and we do feel anxious, and I would say that's a good thing. That anxiety in that case is is like a boomerang that kind of flings us back around, you know, back home to say, well, if I, you know, go out into Avon and I break all kinds of rules and I'm feeling anxious about the, the, the arm of the law coming down on me, say that's inappropriate anxiety because I've broken a law to say in that sense anxiety is a good I have in mind here maybe something like uh, the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, the one figure I can think of who's tried to redeem anxiety, is not all bad, so he would say some anxiety results just from being weak creatures, and in that sense, that anxiety, I think, is not the thrust of what we want to talk about today. Second qualification is we're not talking about the kind of anxiety that results from major traumas in life, say things like abuse. Say, we all know that happens far more often than uh, we, we even know, but to say some who face terrible things in life and consequently say the rest of, you know, carry around these kinds of wounds and have anxieties in different situations because of those traumas and those experiences, again, that's not the thrust of the passage today. Rather, what we do want to look at is the kind of anxiety that all of us have from worrying about our everyday circumstances. That's what we're going on about today. So a couple of moves. First, I want us to understand what anxiety is, why it's such a problem. Secondly, Paul's exhortation, that is the commands that he gives. He said very clear commands in this section that come out of his experience. And then finally, the wonderful promise that's associated with obedience to these commands. So firstly, what is anxiety? What's the nature of it? I would define it like this, say anxiety. And we have a couple of other words that help us here. Say worry, stress, maybe that's one. Say we hear a lot of it, we know what it is. So anxiety, worry, stress. It refers to a mental uneasiness about our circumstances that spills over into physiological responses. So when I talk about physiological responses, I'm talking about how it, it affects our body. 
See, I think this has been one of the great movements, uh, as far as I can tell, within the medical community. Again, if you're in medicine, you've probably known about this a long time, but to say how the way we think about things affects our bodies. You might recall the New York Times best-selling book not that long ago, maybe five, six years ago, called The Body Keeps the Score. See, it's a very interesting study about the things that happen to us and what affects the mind is going to come over into our body and hurt the way that we function and hurt how we uh, really affect how we relate with other people. So anxiety, again, refers to a mental uneasiness about our circumstances that's going to affect our bodies. Say, I think, again, you, I had my annual physical last week, which I never love because the same thing happens every time. They take my blood, I have high cholesterol, I have to cut back on the chicken wings and the hamburgers, but nevertheless, I had my physical. And you know, they ask, if you, if you take your annual physical, you get all those questions at the beginning, right, that they ask you about your life. The questions were very different this year after 2020, the Cleveland Clinic. They asked me about my friends, about how often I talk to people, how often I talk to my family. You know what they even asked me? They said, do you attend a church? And I was inclined to say, well, yeah, I try to get there every once in a while, but you get the idea. <laughs> say, um, you know, church or another kind of social group to say these kinds of things, the way we behave in the world, the way we think about things, our mindsets, Cleveland Clinic knows that affects your body and your well-being. You know, the best, I think, as is often the case, where this uh, explains everything to me, the, the book of Proverbs, right? Proverbs 12 and 25, it says, a, a man with an anxious heart is weighed down. I say, isn't that the truth? An anxious heart, I feel so weighed down that my circumstances are more than I can handle in my life. And, and as a result, that I feel it in my body and it hurts every aspect of my life. This is the kind of worry that's addressed here. Again, not my sinful behavior, not resulting from a trauma, but me being too concerned about the things I have going on. Now, if you're a Christian, or if you're thinking about things from a Christian perspective, which we all are because we have our Bibles open, right? We're working out what Philippians 4 would tell us. So that would be everybody in the room. Say, so this becomes a, a theological problem, anxiety. You know, I'm inclined to see everything spiritually, uh, not just because I'm a pastor, but because I believe that's true, that there are spiritual deficiencies. And why would anxiety be the case here? Because anxiety, if you think about it, it's really a, a craving for control and a, and a feeling of self-sufficiency. So I look upon my world, I think of all that I have going on, and I say, you know what, all this is up to me. How am I going to do it? Be it in employees or the things, my deadlines, say all this is up to me. I've, I've got to make sure that it gets done. And pretty soon anxiety looks a lot like pride, doesn't it? Only I can do it. It's all up to me. And here I am in my own little world, worried about all that I have going on. So I would suggest to us Christians, the reason why we get such this forceful, don't be anxious about anything, or Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, don't be anxious about your life, is because at some level, at a very profound level, we see that it really says a lot about who we think we are and who we think God is. That anxiety, again, is a lot about my self-sufficiency and a lot about, well, God can't handle it or he doesn't know what I'm facing, and it's up to me to solve it. And what I'd like us to see today is that our relationship with Christ really does help our anxiety. That Christ makes a big difference. You say, well, you want a practical application. You know, they tell all the young ministers, well, make your sermons practical. I say, well, the word of God to me is practical enough. And here's a great example. To memorize verses 6 and 7, to repeat it when you're feeling anxious, and to trust it. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer 
in supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You say, what's the punch of that? Well, it's this. Worry less and pray more. Think more about who God is. Think more about who we are. And so now we'll turn our attention again in turn first to the exhortations. That is, what are the commands, the, the, the imperatives of what Paul has written here, and then the wonderful promise that accompanies it. So first, the exhortation to cast your cares upon the Lord. How wonderful, let's begin with this, that this uh, thinking about anxiety, you notice what comes right before. You say, you might be say, why would God preserve this for us? Say, why? Because God in his infinite wisdom uh, gave us this little tiny glimpse of a conflict in the church. Two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche. They're disagreeing about something that's happened in the church. You say, well, look at that. So right out of the passage on conflict with other people comes the exhortation not to be anxious. Isn't that, isn't it conflict with other people, warring for control? You know, that people are the greatest blessing that we have. They're also the source of my, my greatest anxiety and, and all my problems in life. And so coming right out of this, this problem in Corinth, these two ladies are disagreeing. Paul's going to break into, well, cast your cares, give everything to the Lord. So why is this so important? I think why does this speak so well to me is because the, the problems and the stressors in life are inevitable even if you're a Christian so if we read a passage like this and and what we're taking away is there's no such thing as anxiety or that it's an illusion or that there's no stress in the world you say that is not that the, the Bible is eminently real these ladies again wonderfully are both strong Christians how does Paul describe them? He says, well, you know what? They're, they've labored with me side by side for the gospel, that they work together, their names are in the book of life. Not one of them is in major doctrinal error. You say not one of them has conducted their affairs in a purely evil fashion. You say, that's not the, these are two Christian ladies who've clashed. And I think most of our conflict kind of happens on that level, right? Not everybody doing something kind of evil and way outside the body. Say those ones are easy, but rather it's just the, the little things that we disagree, and now we're, we're kind of locking horns over this. What do we do in those moments? The stress is going up. Paul will give us a few instructions, but first, I just want to make the point, the Bible understands us well. It understands real life stressful things things that make us anxious right lead us to to not like our lives it understands that realm it doesn't ignore it but it speaks into it and says how do you navigate that that our relationship with the lord is always practical so what then do we do we have all these exhortations don't we first we'll just start with verse four right rejoice in the lord always again i say rejoice why does he say it that way as if after the first rejoice, you know, Paul has an imaginary, you know, an interlocutor who's saying, well, wait a second, you've just got done describing a conflict. Do you really mean that? And he says, yes, I really do mean that. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice, this great epistle of joy. But that little clause, right, in the Lord is the key. For the Christ follower, where does your delight come from? Your happiness, your flourishing. It's for those of us who are in the Lord. The example I used early on in the sermon series, you know, think of the fish's natural domain being in the water, right? If you remove the fish from water, he doesn't do well very long. He can't survive out there. So it should be for the Christian that when we're in Jesus, 
that when we're listening to him and obeying him and, and honoring, you say, that's the natural stream of water. And you say, when I'm in that mode, right, when I'm resting in him, when I'm in the Lord, say, that's where my delight is. Why is this important? They say, this is lost on the non-Christian world. Because our joy and our well-being has to be anchored in things that are non-contingent. It's a fancy way of saying, if my happiness is dependent upon other people or in my circumstances, then I'm in real trouble. Because those change like the sea, right? I'll be bounced around and buffeted on the waves. What Paul's saying here is, no, when your security and your, your well-being and your flourishing is in the completed work of Jesus, nothing can take that away from you. Say, so you're a non-Christian today. You think about this. You say, where do you, why does the Bible talk so much about, say, having your feet planted on the firm rock or a firm foundation in Jesus or, or being in the Lord? Why is that so important? Because a Christian would understand that that, that security comes from, from something that can't be taken away and it can't be influenced by any of these other lesser things. And that's why we can have joy. You say, well, yeah, you know, things are really hard right now, but you know what? I'm, I'm in Christ, and that's what's most important, that I'm, I'm secure in him, that I have hope for the future. So we rejoice in the Lord. The joy comes from being in Christ, not our circumstances. Then how about verse 5? Verse 5 is a bit tricky. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Again, another exhortation. You'll notice if you have other Christian versions that this, this word, we, we get a number of different words. So Tyndale and Wycliffe, the first translators of the Bible into English, went for patience. I think King James or other versions will go for moderation. Let your moderation be shown to everyone or other versions, your gentleness. The point is this. This attitude, reasonableness, gentleness, moderation, is how the Christian should come off to the non-believing world, right? Let, let your reasonableness known to every. If I'm, my joy is in the Lord, if I'm secure in him, then how the non-believing world sees that is in a kind of serenity and reasonableness and moderation. Say, that's a, a really uh, quite a gift, if you think about it. Have you ever seen people say they're under tremendous pressure? Maybe a tremendous pressure from work or what they have going on with their children or their family, and yet they're able to handle those circumstances with such a calmness. So that's what Paul is calling the Christian to. My delight's in Jesus. Not in my circumstances, because again, that's going to bounce around, but I want to come off as being a moderate and gentle person in the difficult things of life. Why? Because Christ is in me. That that's how we want to be. Now, verse 6, right? So we got these injunctions. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your reasonableness known to everyone. Then verse 6, kind of where we started. Don't be anxious, but pray. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God that the so-called solution, that when we feel the anxieties mount up, you say we feel it in our bodies, in our sleeplessness, that what we're to do is to think about God and to cast our cares upon him. Now, what about the supplication and the thanksgiving? You think about those two words. They really are bookends. Uh, they're, they're temporal bookends. That the supplication is... Uh, whatever's on the mind that's creating the anxiety, to giving that to God and trusting his resolution in the matter. That's what a supplication is. God, my child is really causing challenges at school, and we don't know what to do. And this is embarrassing, and it's bigger than I am. 
but Lord, I'm going to pray specifically about this situation, trusting it to your care because I have nothing else to do. That's a supplication, right? Lord, things are not good at work. It doesn't look like I'm going to have a job soon. I'm worried sick about it because I have real responsibilities. But I'm going to entrust that to your care, knowing that you have my best interest in mind because I'm your child. That, that's a supplication. It's, it's turning over what you're fretting about to God's care and trusting him to work it out because you have, you're, you're, you're under him. He's your child, right? That's a supplication. At the same time, what is gratitude? Gratitude's thinking about the past. Lord, you've gotten me through some really tough times before. I can think back at times in my life. Lord, I don't know how I did that without you. Thanks for providing for my every need. Even in a tough season, you know, here we are. 2020 was rough. Yeah, but here we are. Say, God's been faithful. He's delivered us. So can you kind of see the, anxio- the, the, the mode here of dealing with anxiety? So here it comes. You know, you wake up. It's 2.30 in the morning. You've got that insurmountable problem. You can start to feel it in your body and in your shoulders. You say, what are you going to do? Lord, this is way bigger than I am. I'm worried about it. I'm worried sick about it. And as we saw, that's a very good phrase. And isn't it worried sick? Because again, we say it has a physiological response. I'm worried sick about this. But Lord, I'm actually your creature and I have limited control I'm quite small in your universe and I don't control anything so Lord I'm going to commit this to your care and also Lord I'm really thankful for the opportunities that you've given me and most of all for calling me to be in Jesus because that's where my joy should be anyway help me to see that more so that's the kind of action we should have now without going too far off into the deep end here you say they, they were joking with me um, earlier, they said this could be a very long sermon, and, and that's true. Any sermon, it's very risky with me being up here because you know I can talk talk a lot. But this is this is why they said this could be a very long sermon sermon because I see psychology all over this passage, and this is why this is important because psychology has been deemed historically as an enemy of the church. You know, say psychology, we think of that as the science of of um, you know relating everything to the the individual that God and classically in psychology God has not played that much big a very big role and so some Christians they say psychology is the enemy we just need the Bible you know so that's a, a division that you sometimes come across and one of my passions is to to bridge the gap really with what uh, uh, the Bible says and with what, what a lot of other fields are saying and the sciences and in this case I just want to spend time to think about that word gratitude don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god say why is paul inserting that little bit on gratitude you say recently when i say recently the last 20 years there's been a big turn in what we could call positive psychology so all that means is psychology again historically has emerged as a field for identifying what's wrong with people right so you say well this guy's really got a lot of problems what what's went wrong there that's what we normally think of in, in psychology what's positive psychology is to look what's going well in a person and to identify that and practice it and what you'll find is again in those who are in these scientific fields is that they've done a lot of empirical evidence on classical christian virtues and one of them the ones that's had the most staggering results to the psychological community is on gratitude 
So way back in 2003, two Christian psychologists, Robert Emmons and Michael McCullough, they did a lot of studies on gratitude. And overwhelmingly, these last, what, 17, 18 years, study after study has shown that to be a thankful person really does help, help your body and your mindset. And all they did is they very simple, had a group of people, they said here, this group of people, I don't mean to say you over here as if you're going to be critical group of people, but they said, this group of people, we want you to journal and we want you to complain about everything that's wrong in your life for the next four weeks. Just if, if you've got a problem with it, write it down. Then there was a control group in the middle. They just said, live your life like normal. And they told this group over here, journal and come up with four things a day that, that you're thankful for. Just write four things you're thankful for in a journal. That's all you have to do. Say, so what they found is that little exercise in thankfulness help the mental well-being of this group in a very obvious way one again these have been ongoing one kind of humorous one recently that i just found out about last week was on the phone with a christian psychology said well they just did this study and they found out that thankful people actually jump higher and i said i have to remember that when i play basketball with the youth on on wednesdays but he said these kinds of things to to be thankful now why do i say all this to say you know psychology is not an enemy of the church in this particular instance you have empirical science actually supporting what the bible said all along what our job is as christians is to translate you say oh yeah you think gratitude is important for your health you say well you know what that's actually a deeply christian virtue you have flip philippians 4 say look at this one way out of anxiety is to think about god and to think about all he's done for you and yes what paul said all along is now what science says that science is not an enemy of the church but actually something that can be used uh, to help us think differently and beyond so again what's the action here don't be anxious about your circumstances. Recognize who God is and who you are. Entrust the things that are bigger than you, which is a whole lot of stuff. Entrust those things to the Lord and let him work them out. You're his child. Your joy is in what Jesus has done for you. Entrust those things to Jesus. And by the way, be thankful for all the things that he's brought you through. So that's the action. And notice finally, one more exhortation we'll look at is, is really this verses 8 and 9. The 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 imperative comes at the end of verse 8, right? Think about these things. But you have this whole catalog of, of mindsets, really. Whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, commendable, what is morally excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things that Paul would say, this is so much about a mindset. I went back and looked at Philippians all the time. He's saying, have the same mind or think about things differently. He says, so much of our life in a complicated world is going to be how we think about things, how we think about God and our life. And these virtues, by the way, in eight, say, aren't, say, what non-Christian would oppose any one of those? Paul's saying, in our ethics, who wouldn't hire a person who's marked by these things? That the way we conduct our affairs in the world, again, our doctrines, you say, not a non-Christian, say, won't uh, be on board with the doctrines, but the way we conduct ourselves in the world, right, the kind of discipline where we set our minds on what is morally excellent, we conduct our affairs in an honorable way, say, this is what a Christian ought to be that we're to think about these things. And here's an opportunity. Again, all of this cluttered, complicated world, a lot of anxiety, a lot of things going on, anxiety levels going up. What an opportunity we have to say, you know, I want my moderation and gentleness and reasonableness to be shown to everyone. I'm going to set my mind on what is noble. I'm going to find my security in Jesus and trust God to make an impact right through my life 
that here is a great opportunity, I think, for witness. So think of those, again, those exhortations. Your joy's in the Lord. Worry less. Pray more. Set your mind on positive things, that this really is a different way of living. And then finally, I know my time is short, but the promise. So those are the exhortations. What about the wonderful promise? Comes in two places. Verse 7. So as we do this action, the peace of God... The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Then at verse 9, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Two promise. As we entrust our cares to the Lord, and we have many cares, that his peace will come into our lives and protect us. Isn't that interesting, that word guard? God's peace guards. And how would that have fallen on the first century Philippian ear? this Roman colony. Say, they would have known the Praetorian Guard, right? The, the formidable uh, Roman army. Say, they're the ones who do the guarding. No, Paul says, no, no, no military is going to ultimately guard you. Say, what's guard you is being right with God. That his peace will come into your life. You recognize who he is, the creator of all, the one who controls all things. And who am I? Well, I'm a weak and sinful creature of his. But by his grace, I've been put in Jesus. That's who I am. So the promise again, that as we turn our affairs over to God, that his peace will enter into our life and it's going to guard us from, yes, a world that's very dangerous, all these new babies being born in the world. I want to tell you, the kid, it's a tough world out there. It's a hard world. But the peace of God will guard you as you recognize who he is and who you are. If you're not a Christian today, I'm very glad you're here every week. Every week, there's always non-Christians here. You're not alone. We're very happy you're here. But I want you to think very carefully about Jesus and about God and about these very significant matters today. Quite frankly, if you're not a Christian, I don't know what you do with your anxiety. I really don't. I, I, I guess toughen up. Keep going. I don't know. So many times in my life, I'm with Christians a lot. You know, they say, I don't know how I'd get through this if I didn't have my relationship, though I tend to agree with them, say, I have no idea how I would make it if I didn't have any way, play to, place to cast my cares, if I had no one who was going to lead me home and no one who I could find my security but myself. I'd be utterly lost and, and incapacitated by anxiety. I really would. And so if you're not a Christian today, will you see this extraordinary claim that there's a God on high that he's put forth Jesus, that you can be secure in him, that your affairs in life are not up to you, that all that you're carrying around in your body and your sleeplessness and the temptation to medicate, you see, all that can give over to Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm weak, and you made me, and I see in Christ what no one else offers, and I give you my life. And if you are a Christian today, say this again. Say, I, I worry many times a week, I tell you. I worry many times a day. Memorize Philippians 4, 6 to 7. <laughs> Don't just memorize it, but say it. When you're feeling the anxiety crack, cr uh, cropping up, you say it. You trust it. And you really give the things to God that are his. And rest in what he's done in Jesus. Because we control very little. And let him handle it, right? Friends, let's cling to Christ rather than our worries. Cling to Christ, not our worries. Pray more.
worry less. And may that win the day, our moderation, our gentleness, our reasonableness. That's the goal here. So I'll pray and invite Ian and the team up. Lord, I do. I, I worry way too much. I worry about my loved ones, the circumstances, deadlines, what other people will think of me, my body image, so many things, so many things to worry about. Lord, help me to see that I, I really then, in that moment, I, I failed. I, I'm thinking way too much of myself and way too little of you. Help us as a church to enact this very practical lesson that we don't need to be anxious if we're in you and that we can cast our cares upon you in our prayers. Lord, this is bigger than I am. I, I entrust it to you. Take away the weight, Lord. I, I give it to you. And by the way, Lord, thank you very much for putting forth Jesus. And thank you for seeing me through the difficult times in my life. Help me to have an attitude of joy. And Lord, use my life, the serenity that you provide, this peace that we talked about, this calmness that comes in the midst of the trial and in pandemics and in economic upheaval and in job loss and whatever it would be. Help, help that kind of moderation and serenity make an impact for you in an increasingly anxious and depressed world. Lord, you can do that. Only you can do that through us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Church, with that, let's respond to the Lord with singing. When peace like a river attendeth
in that shalom, that peace that is beyond human sophistry and understanding, and what a great, great thing that is. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You are indeed. May we be in Christ. Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence, faultless and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, honor, 
dominion and authority through all the ages. Amen. Let me go in God's peace.